Hey everyone, you're listening to Lifted On Air, a podcast brought to you by Lifted. Lifted is a magazine dedicated to elevating Asian hip hop. And today we've got a special episode for you with a very special guest, an OG amongst OGs, Fab Five Freddy. Hey yo, what's up y'all? This is Fab Five Freddy, live and direct. What the heck? It's all about Lifted, baby. I'm tuned in and I know you are too. Lifted, let's get it. In today's episode, Sean D from Lifted will be chatting to Fab Five Freddy about the racist history and reality of the war on drugs and about his newest Netflix documentary, Grass is Greener, which discusses weed's relationship with jazz, hip hop, and other things. Hey everybody, this is Sean D and you're listening to Lifted On Air. Today we have a very special edition to commemorate the global celebration that's come to be known as 420 Day. 420, the celebration of weed, herb, ganja, trees, whatever you want to call it. We're lucky enough to have with us one of hip-hop culture's true pioneers, Fab Five Freddy in the house. Hey, what up, y'all? What up, Capo? Among other things, he was a graffiti artist who was a central figure in downtown New York in the early 80s, along with Jean-Michel Basquiat and many others. They took graffiti from the trains and the streets into the galleries, he also produced and starred in the first ever hip-hop movie, Wild Style, my God, and then created and hosted the first hip-hop show, MTV Raps. If anyone remembers, MTV at that time was about 90% white. Michael Jackson was the only guy that got some shine, and it all changed with my man Fab Five Freddy here. So, continuing to create contemporary street art, his works have sold at Sotheby's and are owned by major collectors. It's a serious OG resume, and you can add to that directing over 75 hip-hop music videos, probably more by now, and by some of the biggest names of the golden era. And now, just recently directing his first documentary film for Netflix, The Grass is Greener, which is why we wanted to get together with him. It's very timely for 420, a widely praised Netflix original about the history of marijuana in the U.S. and the laws surrounding it. So, without further ado, what's up, Fab? Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me on on 420, which is like, wow, it's kind of become a cannabis holiday. Um, it started out, I guess I heard the story is back in the 70s, people around the Grateful Dead scene had an inside joke, like when it was 420 in the afternoon, it was time to light up. And... Um, you know, inhale some cannabis. And it's because I was like, how did this start? And so it started from that time. Then it start. Then that date, April 20th, became like 420 um, significant for celebrating the fight for legalizing cannabis really is what it would be celebrated for a lot of cannabis demonstrations, activist stuff. And then now it's as many more states more and more states become legal, recreational. People get over all these negative racist stigmas about this harmless plant. It's, um, it's on its way to becoming legal. So 420 is when we celebrate, and New York two weeks ago just got legal. I, I was just gonna say, so New York, you know, just legalized recreational marijuana. Um, obviously, you know, you're, you're feeling pretty good about that. I mean, what, what has changed now? Well, there's, there's some stages to all the components of a really intense bill that was fought really long and hard for. 
um, one of the women, a, a, a real powerful cap, uh, cannabis lobbyist and um, activist named Cassandra Frederic, who works with an organization called Drug Policy Alliance that um, has been on the front lines of fighting all the nonsense drug wars. Because what my film really shows is cannabis and almost every other drug was really criminalized in America because of racism. It was black people or Latin Mexican people dealing with this harmless plant that goes back to ancient China and ancient India for medicinal usages. And no one has ever died from this plant. So basically it was like a long hard fight. And so the first thing is adult use over 21 is legal. You can possess up to three ounces of cannabis. I believe you can grow five or six of your own cannabis plants. But the real other more specific and hard fought parts of the bill is sort of a almost like a reparations. Um, Black and brown people being that they were targeted by police disproportionately when black, white, and everybody else smokes cannabis equally, the uh, the focus on arresting people was primarily in communities of color. So a lot of lives were devastated, criminal records, which hindered people's ability to get good jobs. Um, people can get kicked out of public housing over cannabis. There's been a whole lot of really harsh laws and regulations that have proven to be really harmful to people. So a huge, a big portion of the proceeds that are gonna be made when the business components kick in, uh, tax dollars are gonna come back in to help people, communities, um, spend that money in positive ways. And then and, uh, like hundreds of thousands of people that have nonviolent cannabis arrests, I think under several pounds or whatever the specifics are, get their records expunged. So, and then the business aspect, it's gonna be a multi-billion dollar business because New York City, New York State, and is gonna be equal to, if not surpass California, just because of the amount of people here that have been smoking weed for a long time, like me. <laughs> exactly. So let me ask you, so, I mean, does this feel like the, the end of the fight or just the beginning? Clearly, a major victory. A major, 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 major victory. In fact, I, got, I learned a lot of this stuff, once again, in the research for the film, meeting people, frontline activists. I didn't know these numbers. I didn't know, like, New York, even though they we fought to end stop and frisk this, like, law several years ago that unfortunately, once again, targeted um, people of color, harassing them and to see if they had guns initially. And then if they had small amounts of cannabis, they would end up getting criminalized and forced to go through the really harsh criminal justice system. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's like a unbelievable, huge uh, victory, particularly the most progressive bill, which what New York now has was the, that was the big sticking point. The, the governor was holding up on some of the aspects of the bill, like who gets to administer spending those monies, the, the percentage carved out. 
that he um, they gave up all of what was needed to have a really progressive bill. So then now the work starts. They said all the components of the bill won't kick in for a couple of years, all the specifics of getting licenses out and setting up, but it's going to be a humongous situation. So um, like the same way that 420 has become this big celebration, do you think March 31st is now going to become like Weed Smokers Day in NYC, people are going to just go buck wild in the park and stuff? I mean, it'll be out. Well, that's another part of the bill, which I was on a call on this um, on this really popular app called Clubhouse where people just have great talks like, like this with a whole bunch of people. There's a bunch of cannabis heads from New York, people in the business all in this room having this like celebration. Um, you know, kind of audio wise. And this guy from Massachusetts who is really well known or really um, well known activist um, and a supporter of, uh, of the fight to legalize cannabis said, our bill in New York is more progressive than in Massachusetts, where anywhere you can smoke cigarettes, you can smoke cannabis now. Um, so that's wild. But then again, if when you think about it, in New York, cigarettes were so outlawed. You're not technically supposed to smoke here, there, or anywhere. But that means on the street, like... So people will just be outside of the restaurant just, like, casually puffing? You can casually puff now. And you remember back in the days in New York. It's so funny when you think about the, the evolution of culture around different things, particularly cannabis, to me, was much more open back in the days in New York, in the 80s, in the parks, and movie theaters, but along with the way people were allowed to smoke cigarettes every place, or in many places, we and people that we associated with, it was typical to, to like, you know, like like if you weren't smoking a joint at a club while, while you were dancing, that was like, what do you mean? You know, we had a club, we want to drink, we want to smoke. Yeah, yeah, I would say that that all really changed with Giuliani. Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of things changed with Giuliani. You're right. 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 That's um, that's where suddenly that whole thing became like, well, we're not just busting people of color; we're busting white Wall Street guys too. If they're walking down the street smoking a joint, it was like mm, disproportionately. Yeah. So Giuliani came in with a whole lot of like ridiculous laws that had never been enacted, particularly on the nightclub scene. Um, he just took a lot of the fun out of New York. Um, a, a lot of fun that happened in the in the world that we were connected to at that time, where people could just have a good time and it was easy to have parties in many different places. He enacted these old laws from back in the 20s and 30s, like a cabaret license, like nobody can even wiggle or dance in a bar if 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 they didn't have the proper license. It was like, give me a break or take as an establishment's liquor license. So, yeah. The Post had a headline that said Reefer Madness. <laughs> it was like talking about yeah. all these old jazz age, jazz era rules. But actually that, that does bring me to your film, Grass is Greener. Um, you know, the doc is incredible. I, I loved it. It's, it's, it came out almost two years ago now. Um, it came out on 420 in 2019 on Netflix. It was in released worldwide in 130 countries. Yeah, let's discuss it a little bit. So tell us a little bit about the process of getting it made. I mean, how long did it take? And, you know, how was working with Netflix? And, like, uh, you know, what did you learn making the video that, that you know, like 
like you just said, some of the stats and stuff like that. Yeah, like you know, I've been a cannabis aficionado like most of my life. Um, my and in the film, it's slightly autobiographical as far as introducing myself and where I come from. Growing up in Brooklyn, my dad, who was close to the jazz scene, he was best friends with Max Roach, a famous jazz drummer that was like my godfather. So he's a really smart, hip, uh, young black guys that were into all kind of things, global, contemporary, culture-wise, and they enjoyed cannabis. But it was also, it's always been criminalized. And so... Um, I, I just had learned that when I was a teenager that the, going back to the beginnings of jazz in America, Louis Armstrong, Cab Calloway, all of these guys all indulged in cannabis even before it was criminalized. And they made many records about cannabis. So I remember learning that as a kid. You can go on YouTube now and just search uh, jazz cannabis songs and a long list of jazz records by the greatest in jazz, America's music, were endorsing cannabis, smoked, you know, writing cool songs about being, feeling good and dancing and having a good time. And this brought whites and blacks together. Like white folks would want to come up to Harlem to hang out, party, and smoke some of that good reefer. And racists did not want to see people come together and enjoy themselves. And that was the main reason cannabis was criminalized. But I, but music had always, the cutting edge, in pe cutting edge people in music always enjoyed the plant from jazz, rock and roll, hip hop, every kind of music. And so I thought that would be a great way to tell a story to through music and culture and then also look at the criminal justice nightmare that has also been a part of the story. And that's grass is greener. I just thought this would be a cool way to do a documentary. And because of my connection to people in hip hop, when I worked at MTV and, you know, all the videos that I directed back then, mostly for hip hop people, I got a lot of people, to, especially Snoop Dogg and uh, Cypress Hill, Be Real and those guys, and a bunch of other people from hip hop to share their experiences of the plant, as well as take you through the jazz history. And I go to Jamaica and Bunny Weller sadly just passed away, but I get to cover it in the J Jamaican where cannabis is a part of the Rastafarian re religious movement. Um, and they're just opening up and legalizing finally now. So it's a it's a big, big thing going on, but a long way to go. A lot of people don't realize. I mean, you were the one actually that hit me to the fact that, you know, that scene that was happening in Harlem during the jazz age. Right. And you were the one that hit me to like the main cat who had like the most proper herb was this white uh, dude called Mez Mezzero. <laughs> Mez Mesro was a, a legend, a beloved um, figure in, in jazz, in cannabis, in New York culture. Um, this guy just had a lot of flavor, a lot of soul. He loved jazz music. He was a clarinet player himself, Mez. And um, he had a connection to some of the best weed of that era. And he always had it. He sold loose joints, um, pre-rolls, as they call them now in the legal cannabis stores. And Mez consistently had this great weed. That, and everybody was like, his weed was so good 
that just calling weed good meant that you had that mighty mez. It's like, if it ain't that mez, baby, I don't want it. So there were guys that had slang words, calling things the mez. Songs were made, calling out the mighty mez. Um, fascinating guy that also wrote one of the great early books about the jazz scene back then called Really the Blues. And he was, oh, yes, indeed, he wrote it. And not only did he write it, did he write it, but his to really help you get the real flavor for the slang that was used in that period, he uses a lot of that slang and then gives a glossary in the back of the book. Because a few of these words like man and yo man and cool and few things that we still use, but there's probably two thirds of these words you're gonna go, what? You never heard? And this is the typical lingo of the hippest guys in Harlem or on the jazz scene then. So yeah, this white guy was beloved on the jazz scene. All the musicians knew him. So was when I was a kid, listening to some of these old jazz records, these classic jazz records on an album. When I was a teenager, I'm playing these records for my dad and his friends going, what are they talking about? And one of these songs is like, dreamed about a reefer five feet long, the mighty mez, but not too strong. You'll be high, but not for long. And I'm, if you're a viper. So I'm like, what does this mean? What's a viper? Oh, a viper is somebody that really is into smoking. Okay. And what's this mez? And then my dad and them told me the story of chipping in, because I think it was only 50 cent, and they took the train all the way up to Harlem and found him. He used to be standing outside of the a famous tree, I think on Lenox Avenue, that he would be posted up, and that's where you, you can find him selling these um, loose joints. And my, my dad and his friends said they brought it, and it was amazing. They were like young teenagers, probably the same age I was back in the 70s when I, like, what was going on? I'm just curious, like, back in that time, like, where was the weed coming from? Mexico, or was it, was it grown in the U.S.? Or Good question. So since everything back then, shipping-wise, if it was coming from great distances, it was coming like other countries. It was like coming by boat. And so the way cannabis apparently first was pop, first popularized, it, it came up along the Mexican border. Mexicans have been using cannabis. And then in those Southern portions of states, that was a part of their culture. And then um, sh people that worked on boats coming from the Caribbean, um, South America coming up through the Caribbean brought cannabis. And a, a lot of people say the main port, the one of the big ports then was New Orleans. And then some of the earliest reports of cannabis being smoked and where also ironically, this is where jazz is born, is in New Orleans. Some of the first stories that are re reported about people indulging. And this is way before cannabis was criminalized. That happened in 1937. Wow. So, um, yeah, they, they believe because it was a huge port, people coming up from all islands in the Caribbean into New Orleans. That's kind of what made it such a, a popping city at that time. And so they believe cannabis came in that way and then took root and the birth of jazz. That's the thing, ironically, at the same time. And and once again, 
New Orleans had a bit of an open culture where people could mix, black folks, white folks could hang out in the French Quarter. And so as jazz is developing, the cannabis is being passed around. And once again, people didn't like, people looked at jazz music as as crime, like basically, like playing jazz, a lot of people that were like more Christian types hated all of that. So anything that was going on around musical culture was uh, looked down upon. Got it. So they're, they're playing that evil jazz music and those white girls are smoking that weed and them black guys is going to get busy with them. <laughs> it was all like... That race music. That race, yeah, it was the race music, all of that shit was racism at the core. Like when you guys watch my film, Grass is Green on Netflix, I give you all the video and pictures and news headlines to illustrate just how racist it was. You know, just to just to shout it out, the, the video is still playing on Netflix uh, here in Hong Kong and I'm sure throughout Asia. So um, it's really, really, really interesting doc and it's definitely worth checking out. In the movie, um, not to, not, I'm not snapping or anything, but I'm saying, but in the movie, uh, you were, you see, you were seen coughing on Snoop's, um, bubblegum blunt. Um, oh, was that the strongest weed you smoked in the filming? Well, yeah. And typically when I'm working, I don't smoke. It's like, you know, you're not out working and drinking and whatever. So the same thing with, with cannabis for me. And I had waited, I had went to LA and waited for three weeks to get this interview with Snoop who promised he was going to do the movie. I had seen him at the all-star game which was out in L.A. that year. In fact, it was the last time I saw Kobe. Kobe played in that All-Star game, in fact, as I, when he passed away, sadly. Um, I looked at some photos I had shared, at a little video, and Kobe, I, w I was pretty close to the bench. But anyway, um, I waited in L.A. for three weeks to get that Snoop interview, and man, um, he... It's become such a huge star. His first time on TV was on being interviewed by me on Yo! MTV Raps back then. And I always tell him, like, he was so shy when I interviewed him, he barely would hold his head up. He was talking to me and he was like, you know, yeah, Fab. It's on YouTube somewhere. And um, he became immediately very outspoken, um, speaking about the plant, rapping about the plant, smoking everywhere he goes. And then California getting medical kind of coincides with that period in the 90s. And then it proved that people were not going to smoke weed and do all kind of other drugs and all these lies that they told. And so California kind of began this like revolution. And Snoop was a big part of that story. And he shares a lot of stories in the movie, like when he was a little kid and the first time he smoked. He tells a funny story. Like if you put a few people together and some cannabis in the room, they gonna end up hugging and laughing and taking selfies with each other. He says, if you leave that same group of people in the room with a bottle of alcohol, somebody gonna end up fighting, maybe dead. And he, he just puts it so beautifully, and everybody laughs when he tells that story because you know it's really true. Cannabis mellows you out. You kind of come together. Hey, how you doing? You know, get the munchies, want to eat some food. That was a good part of the movie. I remember that clearly when he said that, and it's so on point. Um, was there anybody 
Was there anybody that you that you didn't get for the for the grass is greener that you really wanted? Oh man, I can go on and on. So this was one of the big setup moments in terms of the musical culture, and you you'll appreciate this, Cavo. So like the real architect of funk music, a guy by the name of George Clinton, um, and back in the seventies, eighties, the Parliament Funkadelic. It was like numerous artists, numerous groups, and he put the funk down with a funky, psychedelic energy. And um, George indulged in psychedelics and cannabis. He was like an Afro-futuristic kind of funketeer, rock and roll hippie in terms of his complete sensibility. And so to interview George Clinton was something that I was planning and I wanted to do it at the Black Smithsonian Museum in Washington, which has the actual mothership. And so the idea was to get George to the mothership and interview him and to talk about the funk music scene. And George is brilliant. I, I, I did a talk with him not long ago. He's in his early 80s now. Yo, Cavo, he dropped. His memory is razor sharp. He's telling stories, who was on stage, what acts he saw. You would lose your mind. And with all the everything he took over the years, he's a miracle. And um, that was one of the interviews I wanted to do that didn't happen. Um, Dave Chappelle, who I actually was with two nights ago, at a first gathering I've done through this whole COVID thing at for uh, Q-Tip, it was about 15 or so people met at a Japanese restaurant. Everybody has had their COVID vaccinations. And Dave Ch Ch Chappelle was there. He had promised we just couldn't connect. So I could have had him in the movie. So there was a few interviews that I didn't get, a um, few situations like George Clinton, um, talking about the funk scene and cannabis in the 70s with the mothership. Ah, anyway. That would have been incredible, especially at, at the so-called Blacksonian. Yeah, the Black the Blacksonian in D.C., man, which is amazing. Uh, super. I don't know if you got to check it when you were last here. When, did you did you get down to D.C.? I was there yeah. with you and MCN. We went to the, remember we went? Oh, that's right, we went to the show. <laughs> That's right. That was dope. That's right. Yeah. No, we we had a whole bunch of it. We had that screening or wild style. Oh, that's right. How could I forget? That was cool. Yeah. And they got a couple pieces of yours in there, don't they? Um, they have um, not my work, but they. I donated my boombox about ten years before, but they recently. This was what was interesting. So my. My golden diamond MTV ring, my big MTV ring that I would wear on MTV, it was it was in the hip hop auction at Sotheby's in the fall. I placed it in the auction and it was acquired. I mean, I'm not supposed to know, but I, I did hear that it was acquired by the Afro Smithsonian. Cool. So at some point it would be on display there, which would be pretty cool. All right. Listen, we're going to play a little game here. Uh, you compare jazz musicians who like to smoke to uh, to rappers who like to smoke in the film. I'm going to say some rappers' names, and you tell me who you think their jazz counterpart might be. Okay. <laughs> Snoop Dogg. 
Cab Calloway. I was gonna say Cab Calloway. Oh. That's the deal. Come, come on, that's the guy. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Wiz Khalifa. Oh man. Well, I. Oh God. I. I. I can't, uh, well. Louis Armstrong. I, I wasn't prepped on this. I mean, everybody. No, 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 no. Wiz Khalifa, Dizzy Gillespie. I got you. Red Man. Oh, God. Red Man. Um, wow. Red Man. Okay. I got to throw his name in there. Louis Armstrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they kind of look alike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Louis was the smokingest smoker. He was the most classic. He's really like the father. He's considered the father of modern jazz. And he was a prolific advocate for the for cannabis. And once again, we um there were audio tapes where Louis would record his like his diary and he spoke many times about cannabis. But we got some quotes read in the film from one of his um, letters that he wrote where he couldn't believe he told he was in the film he was telling his manager people can get a license to have a have a gun you should get me a license so i can smoke this this plant it this this harmless flower makes me feel good why is why can't i get a license to smoke it which made perfect sense cuz people can get a license for a gun anyway that's louis armstrong great cannabis advocate all right, I'm going to do one more. All right. <laughs> I feel like I'm on a game show here. I wasn't even ready for this. The, <laughs> the herb is right. Okay. Yes. Lil Wayne. Little Wayne. Little Wayne, Little Wayne. Well, you know who I'm going to say is kind of Lil Wayne? I'm going to throw Mez Mesero in there. <laughs> yeah, the mighty Mez. Okay, good. Little Wayne. Yes. Unfortunately, Little Wayne was more into sipping syrup than um, smoking the plant, which is uh, basically codeine mixed with soda pop. That's Little Wayne's. Or that knockout punch. Combining the two. That knockout punch. Yeah. Call it. They call it lean. Right. But not my thing. But 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 that cough syrup thing goes back to the 70s, the 60s, the 80s. It just they just added like some flavoring to it. But it's not a good thing, guys. Stay with the cannabis, kids. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the future of marijuana in America. Do you think that legalizing weed plus doing things that help communities disproportionately affected by the war on drugs, like expunging records or or providing grants for minorities to get involved in the, in the weed business. Do you think that's enough? And if not, what more should be done? And do you think that uh, it will ever be legalized at the federal level? Yeah, I think yes, yes, yes. We, we, we're expecting with the new administration and at, at Joe Biden, we know the vice president who is pro-cannabis, Kamala Harris, is working on Joe. Joe's old Joe is going to come around. He's got to because there's so much money that's needed. And then the key thing about the cannabis plant, besides recreational use, which is the equivalent to like sipping a nice glass of wine, there's a lot of really beneficial medicines in cannabis that haven't really been effectively studied here yet. I understand that Israel as a country has probably done some of the most advanced cannabis research. Um, We, because of these ridiculous cannabis laws, 
there's been relatively little research here to explore the other properties in the plant. People are not aware that every single human body has an individual, what's called an endocannabinoid system. This blew my mind. There's specific nerve receptacles just for cannabis. And each person's endocannabinoid system is different. And so when doctors, when research is done to really isolate other beneficial properties in the plant, they should be able to then, like similar to what's going on with being able to have this virus right now, they were able to get the complete DNA breakdown of the virus and then build these vaccines to target exactly what's the part of the coronavirus that is the thing that the world has been dealing with. They should be able to do the same thing with the cannabis plant to target other components that can benefit people. Like there's already a lot of medicinal help, but with the research that hasn't been done, they should be able to do more to be beneficial. Like there was this little girl that had these really bad seizures. It's one of the famous stories that changed a lot of people's minds. And this little girl was living in Jersey real violent seizures. Nothing can stop them. The family tried giving this little girl some cannabis, a small amount of cannabis, and and calmed down these violent seizures. But the state at that time would not was not legal, and they would not allow the family a special permit um, to so, so they can treat their daughter. So the family moved out of Jersey and went to Colorado, where medical cannabis or cannabis had been legalized, and there they grew a special strain which took all the, the THC down to the smallest amount and um, raised up the CBD, medic, the medical side of the plant and the strain. And they named it after the little girl. Her name was Charlotte. And they named this strain Charlotte's Web. And, and it saved a whole lot of people just to show you what can be done when you have open cannabis laws. So I think the medicine side of the plant is really the biggest part of the business, believe it or not. And this is what I've gotten from talking to smart people. I mean, you know how big pharmaceuticals are in America. Um, And this is not anything that, until they try to do a synthetic version, um, that they can duplicate. So when they find out other specific components that can help people's instead of people having to take opioid drugs and oxycodone for pain relief, like a lot of these athletes, many of these athletes, NBA guys and NFL guys have said they got relief, but the NFL and some of these leagues still won't allow them to use cannabis as a medicine. So it is a, it's a, it's a lot on the way. I know that, um, um, it's uh, CBD is, a. Uh incredibly has helped people incredibly with that have Parkinson's um, anything that affects the nervous system um, I, it really 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 calms them down and enables them to stop twitching and you know yeah I mean they could get a good night's sleep see, and, that's exactly right there's a long list of things so imagine now they really did the work and found out get that component and know exactly what that component is and then intensify that you can give people super significant relief. And yeah, 
Our buddy Matt Robinson, you know, has been dealing with that. I got to call Matt. I was wow. I was thinking about him actually. Okay, listen. I know your your I know your time is uh uh precious. So this is the last question. Um let's pivot back to Asia since um Lifted is, you know, an Asian magazine and and we're literally cover the entire region. Um Thailand and South Korea have legalized medical marijuana in the last few years and Japan, in fact, Thailand just did it and Japan is flirting with it. Do you think marijuana will ever be legalized globally? Well, it's a country. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, the reason cannabis was made illegal, I was curious, like, wait a minute. Now we... In working on the film, I learned the reason cannabis was criminalized in America, it was race and politics, and the same thing for all drugs, right? Because now they're seeing a lot of psychedelics have a lot of help for people with mental illness and psychiatric issues, and they're now turning that around a little bit. But the reason it comes to find out why cannabis has been criminalized in all these other countries, the same guy, Harry Anslinger, who was the first narcotic czar, kind of like a J. Edgar Hoover mini-me. J. Edgar Hoover started the FBI, but he had a real evil streak and would just invade and and um, spy on people just because he didn't like them. People like Martin Luther King Jr., um, what Harry Anslinger, way after getting cannabis criminalized in 1937, 30-something years later, he still got a lot of influence in the U.S. government. So when the United Nations was formed, he got the United Nations to make um, countries that become a part of the United Nations, he got them to lean to make those countries criminalize cannabis as a part of becoming a part of the UN, and which I think happened in the late 50s, early 60s. So that's why cannabis really became criminalized in all these other countries. And if you think about it, it's like, well, what happened when you know the story in America, it was just straight racism and they waged this big campaign. And also a part of the reason for the campaign was after prohibition ended, which there was a huge campaign against that. Once the people made alcohol legal, they needed something else to kind of make that new demon. And that's when Harry Anslinger begins to see this cannabis. And they even created, the, took the term marijuana from a Mexican plant to give it a Mexican sounding name. So when countries around the world, which are also starting to follow this um, awareness of let's, we don't, we haven't seen this harm, harm anybody. There's not one death related to cannabis use. So you're starting to see countries, there's some medical cannabis happening in Europe. Um, Asia, Mexico, may, the entire country of Mexico is talking about legalizing. Canada has legalized the entire country, getting great revenue. Other countries are going to follow suit. England, I understand, is it could happen in England. So it's going to be like a domino effect. Similar to when prohibition ended in the U.S., every state didn't ad adopt alcohol. Some states re remain dry, I understand, until within the last 20 or 30 years, I understand. Some Bible Belt type states. So it's a similar thing, I think, with other states in America. 
Virginia just voted to legalize and New New Mexico. This is all within the last month or so. Um, so I think we're going to see similar stories um, ease into medical, tiptoe into medical, see everything's all right. People haven't gone crazy. Crime hasn't gone up. People are feeling better. And I think it's going to progress in the same way. And yeah. grass is greener has helped. <laughs> I mean, it's it's true. The whole history that you just described, um, you know, about, you know, maybe kind of basically trying to like, you know, kind of force the UN, you know, people, if you want to sign up, you got to outlaw weed. But then on the other hand, a lot of times the rest of the world will follow the U.S.'s lead on progressive exactly. issues. Exactly. And yeah, so I'm hopefully, the same thing. yeah, so hopefully everyone will start to realize, you know, it's not that dangerous. There's a lot of money to be made. Um, you know, it's good for people. It's got medicinal uh, qualities to it. And, you know, hopefully that's what happens. I mean, just at the, at the very end of this, um, like, what do you have to say to people who want to legalize it in Asia, but feel like they're fighting an uphill battle? Well, it's the similar situation that we went through in America. There's lots and lots of facts now all the arguments against are all based on lies and misinformation. And this whole, the lies and misinformation started in America. Like Harry Anslinger had a lot of influence, this guy that was the first narcotic czar. And he got movies to be made that were shown in theaters that shown people smoking cannabis and doing crazy things, going insane, turning into monsters practically. And that worked. And that's what got cannabis criminalized in America. And so when more and more people just look at the facts, and if you really want to get the benefits of this plant, you've got to make it a political issue. You've got to get smart politicians um, that understand, that are not caught up in the old way of thinking, to go, and why can't we benefit from this plant? There's medicine in this. It's not just like alcohol. There's not, I don't think you guys can tell me any real good medicinal benefit from alcohol, excise Mary sterilizing like a cut, like using it for alcohol for a wound. Um, people are drinking alcohol, getting in cars, and, and they're killing people. It doesn't happen with cannabis. Plus, there's a lot of benefits. And I just want to tell you, along with the benefits, I am working on a cannabis brand that we are going to be bringing to market really soon. So also connecting to the film, one of the stories that I look at on the criminal justice side is a black man from Louisiana who was given a 13-year sentence for two joints, two cannabis cigarettes, and he served seven of a 13-year sentence. I tell his story in the movie, and you also get to see this man get freed. It was a blessing that during the time of filming, he finally got a parole. And we flew back down to Louisiana to film him walk out of prison. His name is Bernard Noble. And as I learned all this stuff about the business and the fight to change all of these bad laws, I decided to develop a cannabis brand named after him. So the brand is called Be Noble. And the first product is going to be two joint pre-roll. 
and messaging on the package about his situation. So a portion of the proceeds are going to go to him and a portion are going to go to organizations that are helping to clear people's records, um, expunge, fight these laws. And in other states, they've still got um, these for-profit prisons and they get people like Bernard Noble with two joints and give them 13-year prison sentences. This is still going on in many places in America. So the brand that I'm bringing to the market, which is going to be available all over the country, is a, it's like entrepreneurial activism. And I'm going to be selling that reefer without touching that plant because I'm working through a, a major company that we created. Like, it's like a record deal. Um, Cavo, this, the whole structure of what's going to happen. Because you got these big cannabis companies that can produce all this cannabis, but they don't have any mar marketing or they haven't created brands yet and stories. So that's the phase that we're developing now. There's only a couple of players doing it. Uh, one guy that was in my movie that you should check out, Cavo, you should Google. His name is Berner, B-E-R-N-E-R. -E He's a Mexican kid from San Francisco. His cannabis brand is called Cookies. He's got dispensaries in a bunch of states right now, Cavo. And the cookies started as a strain of cannabis called Girl Scout Cookies. But the Girl Scouts of America were like, no, no, no. So I had to drop the Girl Scouts. Um, and it's just cookies. But Cavo, when his stores open, the merch, which is all kind of stuff that says cookies, if you don't know, you just think it's cookies. But when you know, cookies means, ah, that's that good weed. And he, they're online, like going to the uh, Supreme store to go to cookie stores when they open, like lines around the block. Wow, that's so fly. And that's so, so fly that he's Mexican too. I mean... I love how all these... Oh, Cavo, wait. I got to throw you one more interesting factor about Burner. Okay. Burner has made at least 30 hip-hop albums. Wow. And they're all mostly on YouTube. He, You know the way a lot of rappers rap about being like, you know, the big coke dude and I'm Escobar and it's all like a bunch of... Well, he's the big weed dude on his records. And he's made records with... Everybody. Really? A to Z. The respect people have for his hustle is crazy. Never had any mega chart hits. He does chart, but his YouTube game, videos, like, it's unreal. And so that markets his brand because heads that know about him know, oh, that's that weed, though, that's burner. Oh, but that's cookies. That's his brand. For real. So he's he's so, he's the millennial Mesmero. He is that with the with the marketing sense of like Coca-Cola. Right. And that's what's coming. That's what's non-existent. There's only a very few kind of popping, connected, come from the legacy game um, that have that kind of cachet. It's only a handful like that yet. So that's really the big opportunity is the opportunity to come with some branding and some flavor and some like, because, you know, it's like, why do people buy Coca-Cola, Pepsi, but then there's 50 other colas? It's the same 
Dang. Because he's deep in the game. And, and, and he's got game. And he's, if, if you, now that I mention him to you, and it's B-E-R-N-E-R, when you Google him, search him, check his gram, yo, his game is crazy. And everybody, that's why I had, and like he's, he's in my movie a couple of quick times. And that's why I'm, because cats that I'm talking to were like, he's the guy. And I'm like, Oh, I thought it was Wiz Khalifa that popularized Girl Scout cookies because he because Wiz Khalifa had rapped about it a lot, you know. So I said, oh, Wiz Khalifa came out with his own strain. People were like, no, no, no. Burner. But but Burner was hitting off all the hottest rappers with his killer weed when they would come to Cali. So they'd be like, yo, I'm smoking that cook. I got them cookies, baby. Yo, I got I'm blazed on these cookies. It became a like a real thing among among heads. And his business sense is crazy. So So listen. That's it. Yeah, th- yeah. Lifted on air. You have been listening lifted. to Lifted. Yes. Good to hang out with the Lifted crew. Finally. You've been getting lifted. Yeah. You've been getting lifted with Fab Five Freddy. Yes, you have. It's been a pleasure to be here. And uh, this is a big shout out to Everyone listening in Asia and across the land, across the water, across the air, uh, the grass is greener. That's his Netflix doc. It's still on. You got to check it out. Um, that's it, man. It's just great to talk to you, as always. Yeah. Yes, it's been good. All right, guys. Thank you, everybody. Peace.